eternal meaning of Bible is the letter of Paul to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans in there. We're going to be in chapter 15 this morning, Romans and chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and we're going to concentrate this morning on those first seven verses. Um, I do want to say that, <clears throat> I know many of us will look, can look to the book of Romans as uh, a very impactful in our lives, especially in our early walk as Christians. I know that uh, formerly being a Roman Catholic, it was the Paul's letter to the Romans that convicted me of my sin and uh, distance from the Lord. It was in reading the first chapter and finding out that, wow, things weren't right. You know, I'd always believed I was a Christian and the word of God quite clearly told me that I wasn't. I felt convicted, I felt the weight of that letter and subsequently now this letter has come to be such an immense and great blessing as the Apostle Paul uh, 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 just outlays uh, uh, what some have described as his uh, clearest uh, um, um, outpouring of what the gospel actually is, of what the gospel is and how that impacts us, what that means for us as those who seek to live in light of the gospel, what the Lord has done in his son on our behalf and for us. And the book of Romans is a, a masterfully written exposition of God's grace and righteousness, a grace and righteousness that comes through faith and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we could spend and has been spent and will be spent uh, a great time going through the letter of Paul to the Romans. But we find ourselves here in chapter 15. And what I will say is that Paul has already outlined that man is in sin simply by definition of who we are. We who are born of Adam are born in sin. Our hearts are far from the Lord. And Paul introduces us by building this case against us. That the Old Testament speaks against us. God's law speaks against us. God's righteous judgment is over us. And we have no hope in and of ourselves. We can't look to what God has said in the past of the law and say, oh, I've done this, maybe I've only stolen a little bit, maybe I've only lied a little bit, maybe I've only cheated a little bit. But the righteousness, the perfection of God stands over us. And there is no way out for us except in Jesus Christ. And for us to be justified, that is to be right with God after this outline of how we are not right with God, that comes by faith and faith alone. Paul says that the results of this justification by faith is that we are reconciled with God. 
by believing in Jesus Christ, as we read there in John chapter 6, by looking to him as our only source of sustenance, we have been reconciled to God by his death. And we have life now in abundance. We are free from sin. And as Pastor Ryan uh, always tells us that we uh, have been freed from the power of sin, although we still live within the presence of sin. The power of sin no longer holds us. If you are in Christ, we no longer have the right to say, sin has dominion over me. I have an excuse to fall into sin and to swim through it. No longer we have that, that right, that, 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 that freedom. We are free from sin. And uh, Paul goes on in chapter 7 to tell us how we are married to Christ. That contrast between being bound by the law, but we are now no longer bound by the law. We are living by the spirit of God. We are no longer in bondage. We are no longer slaves. We are free. We have life in the spirit. And that life is lived that life is lived. We read there in chapters 9 as Paul goes on to talk about how we are, no, we are the true children of promise. Now, I don't want to go into a big, long uh, uh, debate about what that is and what is the children of promise, but we are now the children of the promise. The promise that God made from uh, before the foundations of the world, promises that God made to Abraham we have now been the inheritors of this promise. And the word of faith that God has given us by confessing with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and by believing in our hearts, he says there in Romans chapter 10, we are saved. We are saved. Paul now goes on in chapter 14. I want to jump a little bit. Uh, chapter 14 now highlighting how the implications of that matter in our day-to-day -day living with one another. And one thing he, he seeks to highlight is that he talks about a, a dichotomy between those who are weak and those who are strong. Those who are weak and those who are strong. And before we delve into chapter 14, may I pray for us and um, pray for myself. May the Lord help us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are gathered here this morning. Father, I pray that you by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit would convict men of sin. Would take hold of us by your word and fashion us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this time that we have this morning would be one that draws us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we express the truth and unity that comes with being 
with born into the family of Christ. And we express that, not just in our attentiveness to the word this morning, but how the word being applied might flow out through us into love and to good works. Father, thank you. May you be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying, um, Paul addresses in Romans 14 an issue that we all know is true. That is, that the church is imperfect. The church is imperfect. It's easy for us to get out of sorts with fellow believers. Many of us know that only too well, serving here in Wood Green as long as we have, that it's easy for us to get out of sorts with one another. We sometimes disagree over doctrine. We disagree over our preferences. We sometimes have personality clashes. We have differences in tastes. I mean, this is painful to us because we don't desire that. We don't desire to be clashing with one another. You know, we believe that the church ought to be a place where we can love one another, where we can cooperate, where we can share with one another, we can grow with one another, we can sharpen one another. When a church is embroiled in conflict, the chief thing is that we get sidetracked by our mission. That mission to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. We get sidetracked when we get blinded by our own tastes and preferences. You know, in my workplace, I've got a, a lady who's, she's very much a, a dog lady. She has a couple dogs. And, you know, especially within the whole COVID and working from home sort of thing, you would catch her on teams and you'll just see a dog wander past in the background and like, what's going on? But um, she would often tell me that, you know, the more I get to know human beings, the more I love my dog. Dogs are loyal. Dogs are dependable. They're eager to please. They're quick to forgive. How we wish that could always be said of us, but too far often, too, too much often, that those characteristics are not described about us. And worse yet, sometimes those characteristics can be deemed as weaknesses rather than strengths. You know, people who are eager to please can sometimes be seen as a weakness. And we often wonder, what, you know, when the world has a perception of what it means to be strong, what are the evidences of Christian strength? When there is so much to cause division amongst us, both here and outside, what are the evidences of our strength within the, the unity of the church? Some might say it would be knowledge. You know, knowing the right thing. Others would say it might be leadership. 
That's a Christian strength. Able to step forward and take responsibility. Carry others along with you. Others might say it might be that ability to impose your will on others. Well, the word of God, as we come in to see this morning, will tell us, I uh, hope we have, we have uh, by the power of the Spirit, cause to see it, that Christian strength is evident and so well seen in our desire and our willingness to support and to bear up the weaknesses of other Christians. Let me say that again. Christian strength is seen and evidenced in a Christian life by the willingness to support and bear up the weaknesses of other Christians. Without further ado, let's read from uh, Romans chapter 15 from verse 1. Thus says the Lord, the word of God. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God has always been deeply concerned with the unity of his people. That's something we can all agree with, correct? God is concerned with the unity of his people. He has effected spiritual oneness through one faith, one baptism, and one Lord. He has recreated us to be brothers and sisters, baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, apart from public sin, nothing shatters the fellowship, the spiritual growth, and the witness of a congregation, any congregation, so much as disharmony among its members. And here in Romans 15, Paul is continuing this vital teaching, this important teaching about the unity of the church. And, that, and here, meaning the local church. The vital importance of our unity. You see, true Christian love 
is not selfish. It's not selfish, but it seeks the benefit and the building up of others. The true Christian life is even willing to carry younger Christians in order to help them to grow spiritually and to develop. I had opportunity to go to uh, uh, Wimbledon uh, um, at a church that has been seeking to establish there uh, a good group, and we thank the Lord for what has been is happening there. And I, as I arrived, I said, you know what? It was during this whole train strike kind of thing. So I said, you know what? I've got to get ahead of the game. I'm going to leave early. I don't know what's going to happen. So I've got to get there early, find a place to, to sit down, maybe have a, have a hot drink and wait. Um, I got there, and I was the earliest. I was the first one there. So the young man, uh, uh, Samson, who many of us would know, he was already there. But he, was trying, he couldn't get in. And I was like, wow, Samson, you got there on time. I'm, you know, this is fantastic. But um, he was there, he got everything ready. But there was a few intricacies, you know, with their overhead projector. Um, there was little things that hadn't been sorted out because Pastor Barry was preaching somewhere else. But I was so encouraged by how they rallied together to get things done. You know, when we start the service, it's really of no consequence. But that we are gathered together under the power of the word of God seeking to encourage one another and grow with one another. We started a bit later, but at the end of the day, what, what real great importance is that? What matters is that we gathered to honor and worship the Lord. And to me that morning, I was like, this is Christian unity. This is spiritual growth. We're encouraging one another, growing with one another. Here in chapter 15, Paul is doubling down on that point of unity, even more so humility. And he sets out what truly marks our Christian faith, and that is service. We have to serve one another. We have to serve one another. That and that alone is what will grow the unity of God's people. Each of us seeing and seeking how we can actively serve one another. I want us to see this morning two things in that service. First and foremost, as we'll see in those uh, brief uh, seven verses, um, that one thing, Paul tells us about sustaining the weaker brother or sister. Sustaining the weaker brother or sister. And he also goes on to provide for us two sources of spiritual enabling. So firstly, we're going to see how we are to be sustaining the weaker brother or sister. And secondly, he provides us two sources of spiritual enabling. Again, let's see there what he says there in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings. And I'm not, this is if you have an ESV or an NIV, you might see there it has failings. You will see. 
uh, in the authorized version, in the uh, original language, it says they're weaknesses. Because the underlying point there isn't that this person or this brother, the weaker brother, is wrong or in sin. They're just weaker. But Paul is saying that we, who might consider ourselves strong, have an obligation to bear with, let's change that translation, the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of others. The fellowship of saints, the fellowship of the church, is not to be broken by unessential matters. We have no right to establish conditions within Christian communities, within the communion that we share, over non-essential matters. If someone is a true Christian, if someone has professed faith in Jesus Christ, we should recognize them as such and treat them as such. If God has received him or her, we are to receive him or her. I think that's an important foundation to lay that we are talking here about those who have professed faith. They are Christians. They have entered the waters of baptism and been raised to walk in newness of life. So in this instance, Paul is referring to strong and weak believers. And it's important that when he says they're we, so Paul includes himself as one of them. As a strong, mature believer. And obviously, you know, sometimes we might have a perception of what strength and maturity is. You know, you're a strong, mature Christian if maybe you've uh, read through the Bible uh, 10, 15 times. You know, we've all, I'm sure many of us have had that, you know, uh, New Year's resolution that we may have fallen off the wagon a little bit to, to read. You know, we've got through Genesis, and we're probably, you know, maybe in Genesis chapter 10, 11, and we've lost a bit of that impetus. Maybe you're strong because you're able to teach and preach. Maybe you're strong because of someone who is constantly ready to offer advice and guidance. In this instance, spiritual, and in every instance, spiritual maturity is revealed by discernment. Spiritual maturity is revealed by discernment, but is expressed in humility. The discerning Christian is the mature Christian, someone who is able to lay out the scope of the land and act accordingly. But that maturity is actually expressed in humility. The mature, strong Christian is the one who is willing to give up his or her rights that others might be helped. 
And he does this not as a burden, but actually as a blessing. Just as, as, as loving parents make sacrifices for their children, so a mature believer will make sacrifices for younger Christians that they might grow in the faith. But what ought the strong to do? What is their Christian responsibility to the weak? Firstly, the strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength that they may not be self-centered or self-seeking. Being self-centered and self-seeking is the way of the natural man, of the fallen man. You know, the, the, the KJV, the authorized version, uses that word ought, or a word I, I like, you know. Uh, he, we who are strong, not just it says they have an obligation, but in the, in the, in the uh, KJV it says ought. We ought not to use our strength to serve our own advantage, but to serve others. That ought points towards owing a debt or a strong obligation. Strong people are naturally tempted to wield our strength. It's our natural temptation. We're strong, so you know, we've got to show that strength to others. That's what the world says. Paul says, no, that those who are strong ought to use their strength to bear the weak up instead. You know? And it's talking about that, that, that lifting up, not just tolerating people. We're actually called to lift them up, to carry them, to support them. And the thing is, it, it, that, that bearing doesn't show any sort of exceptional generosity. It is our obligation. It's what we ought to be doing, supporting the weaker brother. And it points towards the deepest level of our Christian debt. Because Christ bore with me, I ought to bear with others. And again, to, to bear up the weaker brother does not simply mean to, to put up with them. You know, we might see a WhatsApp message from the, the church group. I'll just not engage in that conversation. That person has obviously got a lot, a lot of growing up to do. No, we who are strong have an obligation to bear one another up, to support one another. Mature believers are not simply to tolerate those with weaknesses, but to carry them up by not being critical, condescending, but showing respect, showing understanding, showing appreciation. And that often involves self-sacrifice. 
It might mean forfeiting our own Christian liberties. Again, to be self-centered, to be self-seeking is natural for our fallen human nature. But we not, ought not to use our Christian strength as a way to please ourselves, to use it to our own advantage. But to help with the consciences and the strength and the spiritual maturity of the weak. be seeking out opportunities to serve one another. A third responsibility there uh, um, in terms of firstly uh, to not be self-seeking and to self-centered. Secondly we ought to uh, ought as strong believers not to please ourselves but verse 2 also tells us a third responsibility. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Neighbor pleasing is what the scripture commands. But it must not be confused with man pleasing. Which the word of God expressly condemns. We're not to please men we to seek to please our neighbor. And that comes from the mindset of where I stand in the Lord and what he wants me to do. We have to set aside willful, you know, self-centered willfulness and self-pleasing for the sake of building our neighbors up. Oftentimes you'll see people with certain Christian convictions and it can be disguised as like, you know, cold-hearted treatment of others, other brothers and sisters. You see it all too often. But as Paul has already said in uh, verse 14, that uh, verse, in chapter 14, sorry, uh, verse, chapter 14, verse 13, 20 and 21, he talks about with st- instead of uh, um, causing our brothers to stumble, instead of tearing them down, instead of damaging our neighbor, we are to build them up. We are to edify them, constructively build them up. Paul encourages the stronger believer and stronger Christians to avoid causing undue stress and distress to weaker ones by respecting other people's opinions. That's why we gather. You know, we've been enjoying our uh, uh, um, home groups, creating an atmosphere of togetherness that we can open the scriptures, be taught the word of God, and to flesh out our understanding in a way that accommodates, that loves, that, that, that is broken down. A wonderful example of, 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 of such kind of edification, that is not using our strength as a way to impose on others, 
or using our strength to edify, to build up, is seen in how Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos in Acts chapter 18. So Apollos was an ardent preacher, and when they heard him preach, they took him to one side and expounded to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't just tolerate his inaccurate teachings. And that's not what we're trying to say. Oh, you know, I'm stronger. I see a weaker brother speaking inaccurately. I see a weaker sister doing something inaccurately. I'll just close my eyes because I want to be, you know, accommodating and nice and kind. That's not the point. We're seeking to show patience and to build, to encourage The building up of others in faith is to be centered in the word of God. It takes patience. It takes faith. It takes love. And when such things happen, the unity of the body is enhanced. As we all grow individually, we grow collectively. And once again, Paul adds a theological foundation to this appeal. And this time it concerns the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, we'll see he's almost, he, he goes on to, to point to Christ throughout the rest of these verses, even throughout the entire chapter. Um, um, so he says there, um, for, from verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached on you fell on me. Now, of course, the great example, the only true example, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this simple statement is a summation, a summary of the meaning of the incarnation and the character of Christ's early life. He pleased the Father and others and not himself. And it's really wonderful how Paul masterfully uses an example of a transcendent, a great God-glorifying accomplishment in order to command us to the very lowest of beauties. Again, Paul uses something transcendent, something above there. To, to commend us to something low in every day. Let me flesh that out a little bit. So, for example, Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 concerning Christian giving, which is a very interesting and important chapter. And again, I would encourage you, if you can, to go back to what Pastor has been preaching through in 2 Corinthians about Christian giving. It's very foundational and important. And will be delivered from a lot of things that you know, are said concerning how we give and how we tithe in this present day. But he's saying that, in, in that chapter he's talking about, we have a freedom from the old tithe. But that doesn't mean we have a freedom from giving. The apostle says, that we have freedom from the tithe. The tithe was an Old, Old Testament income tax, and it was not even a gift. 
you know, it's like at the end of the year when you know, anyone who's self-employed and you're doing your self-assessment, you just do it because that's what you have to do. It wasn't like you're not, you're not given a gift to the, to the government. It's your obligation, as was the tithe. Gifts and offerings were beyond the tithe. Now, the apostle says the principles of giving in Christian times are quite different. We give as God has prospered us. We give measured by the mercy that he has shown to us. Our giving reflects our understanding of the grace of God shown to us. So in the midst of that exhortation in the Second Corinthians, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So he appeals to the transcendent accomplishment of Jesus, who is God eternally, became poor, became man, so that by believing in him, we become rich. And he points that towards giving, what we do every day on a Sunday, or whenever we give. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, speaking uh, about um, family, to husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because she's beautiful? Yeah. Because she can cook for you? Yes. But a major reason we should love our wives, Paul says, is we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So that refers to the greatest accomplishment of Jesus Christ and he links it to what we ought to be doing every day. Now one more. In Philippians chapter 2, when uh, several of the ladies in the church were unable to get along with each other, the apostle exhorting them to the lowliness of mind and meekness and consideration for one another, he says, in order to enforce his advice, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it a thing to be grasped, to be held, but became man. And he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And so he appeals to that transcendent accomplishment of the Lord Jesus points it to the lowest of beauties. Brothers and sisters and your uh, 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 differences and difficulties in the church ought not to be so. Why? Because of what Jesus has already done. And we see all through the New Testament because of what Jesus has done, this is what we ought to be doing. Excuse me. Paul goes on to quote a psalm. And the psalm was quoted by the early church often there in uh, uh, Psalm um, uh, 96. Psalm 69. 
my mistake. Yeah, Psalm 69, as he says there, for whatever was written in former days, sorry, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul is there using and saying that the proper use of the scriptures, of the word of God, is that we might have encouragement and that we might have hope. Those things that were written beforehand are for our admonition, they're for our learning, that we ought, through patience, endure difficult times. And in the midst of that endurance, show patience and comfort one another. And what's the greatest disappointments that you might have experienced in your life as a Christian? Think of the greatest discouragements that have met you in your life as a Christian. It ought to be the word of God that we go to, to seek our encouragement. And when we are broken low, we're not to look at this level, but to look up. To look to the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. He has freed us from death itself. I mean, do we sometimes, you know, appeal to, to, to prayer even before going to the Word of God? You know, we pray about this thing or we leave it in God's hand, but God has already given us what, how, how we ought to, to deal with that. And then we can draw a line under it. We'll seek Christian counsellors. We'll go to the elders and the deacons. We'll go to uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. And all of that is, is good and, and definitely a benefit. I would never discourage it. But whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Difficult times uh, meet us all, and you know I can only remember. Uh, well, I can't forget the difficult times that uh, I've ever experienced by myself, by my family, and the amount of times that I was broken down. And scripture wasn't the first place that I went to. No, uh, I'm from a, a Nigerian culture, so um, I remember my mum called me whilst I was in hospital and you know I was I was crying on the phone and she was like oh, be strong be bold be courageous I was like where have I heard that before for some reason I just can't remember that where have I heard that before but I don't you don't instantly think that we must encourage uh, one another we must encourage ourselves by going to the word And that is what Paul now goes on to talk about, that, that spiritual enabling. Spiritual enabling. It gives us two sources, the word of God and prayer. 
We've talked about the strength and the weaknesses of believers. The only thing that is going to make a weak believer strong is the word of God and prayer. There's nothing else. There's so much things that we can do. But the only way we grow and mature as Christians is by delving into God's word and growing in our communion with him. Read with me there in verse 4, as I've just read. Uh, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 states the church and individual believers need the scriptures that we might have perseverance, that we might have encouragement, that we might have hope. Whatever was written for earlier times refers to the divinely revealed truths we now call the Old Testament. And he refers to what was written in earlier times. Excuse me. That is the Old Testament. And growing in God's word takes time. It takes patience. And it takes the encouragement of one another. Now I love gathering with God's people. I love sitting under the ministry I love this church, I love this people, but I love gathering here when someone is going to open God's word and teach me. But I wasn't always like that. You know, I remember coming to here, coming to this church, and I was astounded at the fact that they had two services. You know, obviously I come from a Catholic church where Catholic background where there were several services throughout the day but you could pick and choose one and do it and leave but I would come here in the morning and you know, I feel like I've done what I need to do for the day and I'll see about three or four missed calls from Ryan at the middle of the day like bro where are you like you know are you okay and it wasn't a sort of you need to be here like where are you you know but it was like come man come and, come and gather with us come and be with us and I used to find that, ah, man, I've got so much I need to do on a Sunday. It took a while for me to, with, with the patience that comes from God's people. And it wasn't necessarily the turning point, but I remember a point when it was actually before, around Christmas time. Now, my mum, she used to um, cook the turkey overnight. So she would put the turkey in. And, it'll be, and it'll, you know, you, the, the aromas are smelling through the night, so she'll have to be basting it. She'll come down in the middle of the night to baste it so the turkey's not tough. It's nice and suckling the next morning. She did what she needed to do. And it was around the time when Christmas Day was also a Sunday. And I was like, hmm, do I really need to be at church twice? Or even need to be at church at all? Because, you know, surely Pastor Barry wants me to spend time with my family. So, I recall to, um, that the, the Saturday prior, um, I said to him, 
All right, this is me confessing. Okay? I told him that in the midst of my mum doing that um, turkey thing, a fox had come into the house and stole the turkey. Because, you know, um, she'll, she'll leave the, the, the oven door open, the turkey there. She'll leave the back door open just to allow things to, like, obviously, the smell to escape. So in the middle of the night, a fox came. And, I was, and he was looking at me like, what on earth are you talking about? I was saying what I could to get out of coming to be with God's people and just lying. And... What astounded me was the fact that he never said anything about it. But I can see my expression that he knows this guy's is telling fibs now. For years, he held it and never said anything. He showed patience with me. He didn't come to, oh, you're talking nonsense. But he was a brother to me. As was, was, was Pastor Ryan and, and others and sisters in the church. Contrast that to this Christmas that just went. We all gathered over at um, Alfred Finley House, didn't we? For prayer and singing. And who is that gentleman's name? Ernie? So we gathered, and Ernie is not a Christian, he's not a believer. Um, but he was you know, enjoying time with us, as were others. And he decided, because Pastor Ryan was around, I don't know, when you're with a pastor, maybe you feel compelled to tell the truth or to expose yourself, he decided to tell everyone, you know, you know I, I pray every day. His friends looked at him and like, what? You, 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 we know you. You're lying, you're lying to everyone. Don't lie in front of everyone. They mocked him, they broke him down. I could see him getting really frustrated. We all tried to like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, so we tried to make it conversational, but I just remember reflecting about how the world treated someone who said an open lie, it wasn't, a, well, it wasn't a malicious lie, but it was something to bring himself up, to make himself look good. They sought to crush him. And in my instance, I've done mine to make myself look good, to excuse myself, but they sought to be tender with me, to be patient with me. We must each confess that sometimes we get impatient with immature Christians. Just as parents are impatient with their immature children. The word of God can bring us perseverance, the encouragement that we need. And that perseverance is related to patience. Continuing to surrender to the faithfulness and to the obedience of the Lord. You know, hope can sometimes be misplaced. We can have our hope in riches, our hope in men, a reliance in our ideals, in our government, in our culture, in the way we've always done things. But as we are educated by the word, we have a proper understanding of hope in and of itself concerning our daily, personal temporal earthly issues God's word and promises will sustain us they will direct us they will help us to live in hope they are the divine instruction 
that we need. The knowledge of scripture affects our attitude towards the present and the future. The more we know about what God has done in the years past, the greater confidence we have in what he's going to do in the future. We should read our Bibles diligently. We should increase our trust in God. It's our best and only hope for the future. The apostle then follows up with a prayer for unanimity. I want you all to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. Obviously, I don't, I don't think he's talking about unanimity in, in doctrine or teaching primarily. I want you all to be Baptists. I want you all to be Calvinists. I want you all to have an amillennial understanding of the end times. You know, we'd be happier if we all agreed on every little intricacy of our doctrinal understanding. But I think this is rather a unanimity in our disposition in action. Essentially, how we are to be. Being like-minded according to Christ Jesus. The strong bearing the infirmities of the weak and the weak not judging the strong and together we bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us that prayer of aspiration. Our service to the Lord as individuals but collectively as the nations I love it when he says, you know, welcome one another. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And uh, you know, I was talking to, to a sister earlier in the week, and we just had a little talk about culture and how different things are. And I got thinking of, uh, in, in Romans, uh, Romans 12, 13, where Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I've always found that, that word very encouraging because it assumes that the culture is one that does kissing. Like, oh. And we don't all come from those kind of cultures. Most places, a firm handshake is, that's all right. That's fine, that's fine. But there are where you hug one another, we might kiss, and that's it's fine. Depends on how, how you so feel. But we might get bogged down with how we do things for the glory of ourselves. If it hasn't been done the way I want to do it, then have we truly had Christian fellowship? Are you really loving me the way I want to be loved? Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, not for your glory, not even for the weaker brother's glory, but for the glory of God himself. 
And we give thanks. We give thanks. Unity amongst the brethren is so vital, so important. You know, we won't, we're not sharing the Lord's table today, but as Pastor Ryan listed, you know, he gave us instruction. You know, he, 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 he's enjoying himself now, but he almost left unwillingly. He was saying, yeah, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. I was like, okay, brother, we'll be fine. And, um, but he, was, he said, you know, the Lord's table, we must observe it, whether I'm here or not. Because our gathering is not dependent on Pastor Ryan. We're gathered as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We give thanks for the shepherd that he has given us. We too give thanks. But our gathering is for the glory of God. When we observe the elements, when we say those words that have almost become too familiar, but at the same time not familiar enough, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, that points to our unity. And the result of that unity gives us a purposeful desire to glorify God. As we conclude, I pray, Lord, that we would have an attitude of forbearance and tolerance for the very real weaknesses that we all share. That we would promote spiritual like-mindedness and Christ-mindedness in fellowship. And that we would know that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, God grants us unity in Christ Jesus. Therefore, receive one another, build up one another, and please one another according to Christ's example and for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we know that left alone, we would find all manner of different reasons to be contentious with one another. There's so much for us to find fault in within one another, so much weaknesses. Thank you, Lord, that it is your strength that unites us, that because of you, we have hope. May your word this morning encourage us to set aside our desires, our likes, our, our wants, and to seek the edification of one another. May you help us in Jesus' name. Amen.